mind, Father, if you changed our minds today. Because if you change our minds, you can change our lives. And if you change our lives, we could change this city. And if you change this city, we might change this world. And all of this, Lord, by your grace and for your glory alone. So at the name of Jesus, we bow not only our uh, heads this morning, but we bow our agendas and our plans and our lives and all that we are. We bow before you in humble adoration and worship. And we pray, Father, for your will. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God is good. All the time. When I walk outside on a day like today and look up and see the heavens declaring the glory of God, it's not hard to say God is good, is it? I mean, it's just there. It's kind of like... Ernie Banks, the Chicago Cub, used to say, this would be a good day for two, or in preaching terms, a good day for three uh, to share and and preach. And uh, just yesterday, as Eddie uh, announced last week, I got to go out and throw out the first pitch at the Rice baseball game. The event was that our choir, our youth choir, was singing the national anthem. And uh, several people said to me during the week, be sure you practice before you go out there. And so I took them uh, at their word. In fact, uh, I, one day I was out there in a suit in my backyard on the bayou practicing. Uh, I was headed to another meeting. I just had a second, didn't have time to change. And so my neighbors noticed I was pitching the baseball in my suit, which they thought was kind of interesting and, and curious. But it gave me a chance to talk with them. And so yesterday was the day. And all week long, I can't say I was nervous about it because, you know, all week long I was just thinking about that movie, The Rookie, you know, and Dennis Quaid. And he plays the, the role of that person who actually in his 40s got his chance in the big leagues. And I'm thinking at my age, this is probably my last shot. I mean, if I don't make it now, I'm probably never going to make it to the big leagues. And nobody's ever asked me to pitch in public, you know, ever before. And so, so I took it pretty seriously and um, I, I went out there and, um, well, you know, I threw it straight over the plate, but it was about, oh, how high was it, Marjorie? Maybe nine or 10 feet high. It was, I know the, I know the catcher had to jump up and he was six foot six and jump up as high as he could to catch the ball. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was predictable in a way because a, a while back I played, uh, my son played coach pitch and our younger son, and I was coaching with Paul Betancourt. Some of you know Paul, who was the county tax assessor collector, and we were playing. And in coach pitch, you pitch to your kids. And I'll tell you what you don't want to do. You do not want to strike out your own kids. Let me just testify. That is not a good thing for domestic tranquility. And you're trying to get them the ball so they can hit it. And this is sort of my experience in pitching. And so Betancourt's our first option, and he's pitching. And for whatever reason this day, you know, they say it's not the 60 feet they'll get you, it's the six inches. And so he's sort of bouncing it in, you know, to the plate. And he pulls himself, you know, he's the head coach. And he goes, hey, I'm done. I'm through for the day. You're the reliever. You go in. And I go, me? And he said, yeah. And so I go in. And for whatever reason that day, just like yesterday, I cannot bring it down. I mean, I'm throwing it. Every pitch is high. And, you know, everyone. And so finally, I pull myself. And we go to the third assistant coach. And he has this acerbic wit. And he says, uh, this was predictable. And I said, really? How so? And he said, well, he's a tax collector. He's going to throw it low. He's going to be in the dirt. And, you, and, you, and you're a preacher. And you're going to throw it high. I mean, it's just, the, you know, that's your, that's your life. But I'll try to get. And he was great. He threw it right where it was supposed to be. So today, I'd like to throw high if I can. I'd like to lift our eyes. What does Paul say? Lift your eyes 
to heavenly things. Set your minds and your eyes on things above. Would you, uh, would you open God's Word with me this morning to the book of Romans? One more time to the book of Romans. One more time I'm going to talk about hope. I bet all year long your friends say, what, what does your pastor preach about? Hope. All year long I've been preaching. You may be hoping that I'll quit preaching on hope. Well, today's your day. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Just a word from God's Word. Let's stand together. Hopefully, we will live. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Paul writes, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you, that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for His mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to Him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles, will hope in Him. Now listen to the benediction of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. So Paul has been writing about hope and we saw in chapter 5 that he reminded us That hope has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And this connection of the Holy Spirit with hope continues into chapter 8. We saw last week that He invites us to be a people who rejoice in God's hope. And that even the Holy Spirit, while we're groaning, the Holy Spirit is groaning, praying for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. But the real point of Romans chapter 8 is He's saying God wants to accomplish His great purpose in our lives. He's working all things together for good. And that good thing that God's trying to do is to make you and me like Jesus Christ. That's the good that God is trying to do. In chapter 9, Paul says, I would give up my own salvation. Can you believe Paul would say that? I would give up my own salvation for what, Paul? If my people, the Jews, would come to know Jesus Christ, I would gladly give up my own salvation if they could come to know Him. That's how passionately... Paul loved his people. I've been praying this way. God, give us that kind of love for the people of Houston, Texas, that we might love them that way with that kind of sacrificial spirit. He talks about that. And in chapter 11, doesn't he rise to a marvelous crescendo when when he says to us, all things find their fulfillment in Christ. All things are from Him and through Him and go to Him. To God be the glory. It's a marvelous doxology, especially Eugene Peterson's The Message where it comes to this crescendo. Yes, 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 he says. And all of this so that, he says, we might offer our lives, chapter 12, as living sacrifices to Jesus Christ, which is our spiritual act of worship, so that we're no longer conformed to the world. But what are we? We are transformed 
by the renewing of our minds. And what would that look like? Well, he says we would rejoice in hope, chapter 12, verse 12. In chapter 13, we would relate in the right way to the government. Read that, Romans chapter 13. And then in chapters 14 and 15, he says we would relate in the right way to other people. So we who are strong in the faith would accept those who are weak, he says. But even if you're not strong in the faith, we pick up in these verses, he says we ought to accept each other. We ought to welcome each other. How? The way that Christ has welcomed us. Do you see the theme? God is still trying to make us like Jesus. He's trying to give us the mind of Christ. And Christ accepted us. And so we are taught to welcome and accept each other. And he says, that's why the Jews have to accept the Gentiles, he says. And the Gentiles have to accept the Jews. And his point is, as he talks about it, that the Jews, he starts quoting there a series. After that first benediction where he says, God give you endurance and encouragement so that you'll have a spirit of unity. So that with one mouth and with one heart, you will glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6. And then in verses 7 and following of chapter 15, He begins to just quote from the Old Testament and he says, you know, the Jews will rejoice in the presence of the Gentiles and then the Gentiles will begin to rejoice and then the Jews and the Gentiles will rejoice together. We call this church. And then he says the Gentiles will hope in the root of Jesse, the king of Israel, David, uh, who was the son of Jesse, that out of his lineage would come one in whom not just the Jews would rejoice, but all peoples of the world would hope. And he comes finally to the benediction of of hope. Don't you love these words? He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a great benediction and it's good today to come to the benediction of hope because hope never ends. But this sermon series on hope has to end. I mean, there has to come a time when I stop preaching about hope. And so today is that day. It's sort of my last word on hope to you. And I was thinking about that little girl named Donna who was three years old and she loved to pray and her family and and she was praying, but she would just go on and on. And finally, her daddy, who was a preacher, would say, amen, that's enough, Donna. He would just sort of cut her off unceremoniously. And then one day he was giving the benediction in church and he was going on and on. And his daughter, Donna, said, that's enough, daddy. Amen. And so she said, I'm glad nobody has said that's enough, preacher, on hope. Amen. But here's the last word on hope. Hope will have the last word. At the end, when all of our hopelessness is gone, and some of us come to this place today, confessionally, we come feeling hopeless. We may feel hopeless, but can I tell you this morning, not one day in our lives have we ever been hopeless. We've never been without hope. We might have felt without hope, but we have never been without hope because as Paul tells the church at Rome, I tell you, there is a God and He is the God of hope and this God would love to infuse our lives with hope. This is a prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer. He's saying, may the God of hope fill you. And just this morning, I opened up and I have a friend in Austin who sends me a scripture verse every day. She's a great saint of God. Her name is Peggy Butler. You may know her. And she sends these verses out. And so I open it this morning. I preached on this last night and I open up my scripture verse today. And what is it? Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Just to punctuate it, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And when I read it, what occurred to me was, I've always read it as a benediction. But today, could I read it to you as a question? May the God of hope, may He fill you 
with all joy and peace as you trust in Him? Would you let God fill you with His joy and peace until you overflow with hope? Would you allow that to happen? Because believe me when I say, that is what He wants to do. God lives in a perpetual state of hope. He is the origin of our hope and He is the object of our hope. And when we put our hope in Him, as we trust in Him, we overflow with hope. Just notice a couple things as we unpack this. First of all, in this prayer, there's a prerequisite. It's just that little phrase that says, as you trust in Him. Now, if you go back to the first benediction in verse 5, it's, it's, it's as you follow Him. So you and I have some responsibility. God is a God of hope, and He wants us to trust in Him. And you may say to me, why would we trust in God when we feel hopeless I think about those who went through the terrible storms in the southeast yesterday. Did you know an earthquake hit South Texas? Did you read this morning? Earthquake hit Alice, Texas last, last night, a 4.0, not a big deal, not many people hurt, not many people live in Alice as far as I know, but it was, you know, these earthquakes just continue, and we live in this world where, well, maybe the earthquake in your life registered way above 4.0 on the Richter scale of your soul, so much so that you lost hope. I think about... Um, 1954, when a a young, brash American evangelist named Billy Graham went to London, England, and the Church of England said he would set the church in England back a hundred years if they let him come. But he went anyway. Nobody wanted to rent a space to him, but finally Herringay Coliseum opened up to him, and he began to preach there, and he filled it up. God filled it up for fully for three months in a row. He preached this crusade. And as he was preaching this crusade, it caught the attention of all of England, including Sir Winston Churchill, who invited Graham to come to 10 Downing Street. As Jack Colville, who was the biographer for Winston Churchill, put it, Churchill was nervous about the meeting. You would think Billy Graham would be nervous, but no, Winston Churchill was nervous about the meeting. This man, who was never without words, said again and again as he paced up and down in his office, what do you say to an evangelist? What do you say to an evangelist? And finally he sat down and he looked across the table at Billy Graham and said, young man, do you have any hope? I do not have any hope. Where will people like us find hope? He says, may the God of hope fill you. How? As you trust in Him, He fills you with joy and peace. And I invite you this morning to trust in God. If you say to me, why do we trust in God? I would say to you, because after all, He is God. He is more God than we can imagine. He, he, he is the God of hope and He invites our trust. He deserves our trust. Notice that Paul will often put hope together with two other words. What are they? Faith and love. Faith, hope, and love. These three remain, but the greatest of these is love. Augustine, the great church father, said, hope cannot exist without love. Love cannot exist without hope, but neither hope nor love can exist without faith. If I've learned anything in this study of hope, I've learned this, that it is inextricably intertwined with faith. Unless we trust in God, we will lose hope. But as we trust in Him, if you say to me, why do we trust in Him? I would say to you because He is absolutely trustworthy. Remember Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, let us, that's us, hold unswervingly. Don't let go. The writer of Hebrews says, don't let go of hope. Why? Because He who promised is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, we sing. Those words come from Jeremiah who wrote Lamentations. He wrote them in the worst of times and said, do not stop 
hoping in God. Yet I have hope, he says. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. The writer of Great is Thy Faithfulness picked that up in 1923 and wrote it in in English for us as a song to remind us, even as they were entering into the Great Depression, that there was a reason for hope because our God is faithful. We can trust in Him because He is trustworthy. And how has He proven that He is trustworthy? He has proven it through the power of the resurrection. In fact, J.I. Packer says easily the most hopeful event that happened in all of history was the resurrection. No wonder in the New Testament when hope is mentioned 71 times, fully 70 of them come after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is rooted in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is risen, our hopes have risen. We have reason to hope. And as, uh, as Pascal said back in 1671, hope uh, has reasons that reason knows nothing about. Our hearts have a reason for hope that, that reason knows nothing about. And I invite us to be those who trust in God because He is trustworthy. And when we do, that's the prerequisite. Now, now see the promise in this prayer that He will fill you. Imagine the God who fills the heavens choosing to live inside us. What happens when He does? Well, we become joyful people. He fills us with all Joy. Think about how hard we look for joy and for happiness in this world. And he says, God wants to fill you with all joy. It's why in chapter 12, verse 12, he says, rejoice in hope. If you don't have any other reason to rejoice, rejoice in this. You have hope. You have this confident expectation in God. And so you have a reason to rejoice. Our happiness is built on such trivial things sometimes. I saw a study this week where they've uh, sent millions of dollars to 60 uh, scientists who've been trying to find out what makes people happy. You'll be interested in their findings that, that basically happiness is not particularly related to wealth. In other words, um, as long as you have enough to eat and drink and clothes to wear, that's about as far as wealth will take you on the road to happiness. Anything above that does not relate in any positive way to happiness. Being, being rich will not make you happy. What they discovered is that happiness is essentially related to uh, other things like faith and like hope. They they say, well, it's not that atheists can't be happy, but there is a direct correlation between people who believe in God, who have hope for the future, who are also people who are happy. It's a a remarkable sort of finding that they have discovered, and it is confirmation of what the Apostle Paul was saying, that when the God of hope fills you, He fills you with all Joy. I remember a doctor, uh, Travis Lunsford, when I uh, was a freshman in college and I went to see him and he said to me, happiness is dependent on happenings. How much control do you have over your happenings? Not very much. Not as much as we think. Not as much as we'd like. But joy, he said, depends on Jesus. He will fill you with all joy. He will fill you with peace, regardless of circumstances. Now, to the Jewish uh, part of the Roman congregation, they knew the word shalom. They knew that blessing, which was more than just the cessation of strife. It was the promise of everything good that God had for them. They would say peace. And the Apostle Paul picks this up and says grace and peace. He offers us God's blessing of peace. And we need peace in a world that's in conflict, in families that are in conflict. We need God's peace in our lives. But I read a little book this week, uh, at least an excerpt from it, by Ken Hutcherson. It's called Joy or Hope is Contagious. And in that book, he talks about 
how hope is contagious and how regardless of what we're facing in our lives, he says you can live with the same joy and peace. Listen to his story. He said it was one Saturday morning after he had spent five hours in the emergency room recovering from um, a reaction to a treatment that he was taking for his cancer. And when he came home, he said his wife had prepared for him his favorite kind of cake. Unfortunately, he had no appetite to eat it. So here's this beautiful cake, and he, did, he doesn't even want to eat his favorite kind of cake. And his 11-year-old son runs by, and in days past, he would have had the energy to reach out and wrestle with his son. But on this day, he doesn't even have the energy to reach up his arms to give his son an embrace. Meanwhile, friends come over, but the medicine he's taken to ease his pain have made him so sleepy that he, he can't even respond to those people who are there, and he's falling asleep. And he said, in that moment, you might be surprised to, to realize that the, the great thought that kept coming to my mind was, what a magnificent God we serve. What a great privilege it is to be his child. We cannot account for that kind of peace apart from the God of peace, the God of hope who infuses us with all joy and with all peace. And he says, with the power that comes by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of hope? Wherever He is, there is hope. He dwells in a perpetual state of hope. And the people who live in Him will discover that His hope becomes the health of their bones. And not only their strength, but help for other people as well. It becomes contagious. I was reading John Ortberg this week, and he was citing a study in which 122 men who had recently had a heart attack were were examined over a period of time in terms of how optimistic or pessimistic they were about the future. And the 25 most pessimistic of them, of that 25, 21 passed away within eight years. But of the 25 most optimistic, the figure was only six. That is, by a factor of 300%, optimism or hope was more powerful than all the other factors combined, including genetics and smoking and, and, and diet. As John Ortberg says, it's better to eat Twinkies with hope than to eat broccoli with despair. And broccoli will make you despair. It's better to be a people of hope. And I love what he says here. We know that God is the God of hope. He's the author of hope. But what he says is you and I become repositories of that hope so that we overflow with hope. And how do we do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How does God give us hope? God gives us Himself. And when we are filled with Him, the more we trust in Him, the more we overflow with hope. And we become repositories of hope so that we have hope Hope to spare. Hope to give to other people. Mark Laberton is a professor at Fuller Seminary who's written a book recently called The Dangerous Act of Worship. And in that book he tells a story. I heard him this week uh, in a conference here in town. He tells the story of a man who visited his church And uh, the man became a friend of his, and uh, the man had been sort of on the outside of church looking in for a long time, and as they became friends, he said one day this man stopped him in his tracks by asking him this question, so if I begin to hang out at your church, will I meet people who are actually like Jesus It stopped Laberton in his tracks. It stopped me in my tracks this week. If you asked me the question, just I was thinking about my own life, and you said, you know, if I hang out at your house, would I be able to 
be around people who are actually like Jesus, it would be easier for me to say, if you hang out at my house, if you hang out at our church, you will be able to be around a lot of people who like Jesus. But that wasn't the question. I know there are a lot of us who like Jesus, but the question was, if somebody were to hang out at Tallowood, would they find themselves regularly in the company of people who are actually like Jesus? Because people who are actually like Jesus are God-filled people. As they describe the Moravian brethren, God-intoxicated people, people who are full of God's joy full of God's peace, full of God's power, full of God's hope, so full that we overflow. And my prayer for us as I turn this into a question is, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you overflow with hope because when Tallowood begins to overflow with hope, the people who are looking for hope will find their way here. They will hear about it and they will want it in their own lives. As Emily Dickinson wrote, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your presence in this place, for your amazing hope. I pray, Lord, that we would become a hopeful people, that we would hope the best things in the worst of times, because you, the God of hope, have filled us with all that you are. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.